South American Football Show on the World Football Index. We're back again for all your Libertadores and Sudamericana needs um, as we cast our eyes over games weeks three and four on the continent's premier club competitions. I'm your host, Tom Robinson, and joining me today, we've got our man in Lima, Mike Rice. How are you, buddy? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having us on again. And yeah, just delighted that there's points on the board for the Peruvian sides. <laughs> you gotta gotta focus on the positives there, Mike. It's it's good that you're doing that. And um and we're also joined by Venezuelan football extraordinaire, Jordan Florit. How are things with you, mate? All good, thank you. Um here in Caracas, enjoying and enjoying is the right word. Um, a week off from Libertadores because it's been a manic start to the season with Libertadores and Sudamericana and league football all taking place um, in Caracas. So it's it's nice to have a quieter week, but good to be able to talk about it. <laughs> exactly. I think it's good this year that we do have these little breaks between sort of every two game rounds so we can take stock and uh, yeah, the, the manic pace of South American football doesn't uh, consume us too much but let's straight uh, jump straight into things and uh, we'll start with a group that contains one of those Venezuelan sides it's uh, group A where champions Palmeiras are unsurprisingly running away with things with four wins from four and a goal difference of plus 18 already some very impressive away wins there and the two Rafaels Vega and Navarro banging in the goals but the real interest in this group is coming in for the battle for second place. Emelec currently in second place with five points and Deportivo Táchira a third with four points. Um, and the two sides met in Venezuela, but it was the Ecuadorians who came up top winning 4-1. Jordan, what were your thoughts on that match? So last year, Deportivo Táchira were unfortunate to, to not proceed um, out of the groups. It was an incredibly tight group, but one thing that Deportivo Tatra did do well last season um, was they were, you know, unbeaten at home when in fact they were 100% at home. Um, and this year they've really not made home uh, advantage count at all. Um, and although obviously Palmeiras for uh, easy favourites for not just the group, but, you know, to reach the final, um, they've still been disappointing at home in general, um, not just against Palmeiras, but also uh, against Emelec. And it's left them in quite a vulnerable position uh, going into the final two games where they're currently in third, a point behind Emelec in, in second. Um, and both those teams, Emelec and Deportivo Tatra, have the same fixtures, um, including whether they're played at home and away, uh, just in the reverse order. So Deportivo Tatra are going to be at home next um, to Independiente de Petrolero of Bolivia. And then they finish their campaign away in Brazil against Palmeiras, whereas Emelec um, have have the opposite task of facing Palmeiras first and then finishing against the Bolivians. So in terms of progression um, through in, in second place, they because of the goal difference as well, theirs is minus six to MLX plus one. Um, you know they they need to better MLX's record against the same opposition um, to have any chance of of going through uh, to to the next stage of Copa Libertadores. That is, I think they're probably going to get at least third place and go into the Sudamericana. But that isn't what um, Alex Payeres, the new head coach, and Jorge Silva, the the president and chairman, the owner, um, wanted from this season at all. They they went into the Copa Libertadores as the Venezuelan League champions. And they it's fair to say improved their squad from last season as well, which often can't be said to be the case for Venezuelan teams. It's normally a very different side 
that wins the league to what you then see in the first game of the group stages because it's very often that the best talent leaves Venezuela at the end of every calendar year. But Deportivo Tachira retained um, all but one of their key players and the key player they lost was Pipo Vivas, uh, an an under-20 centre-back who's gone to uh, MLS Next Pro. But they kept like Yerson Ronaldo Chacon, for example, who's one of the best players on the con- uh, best young players on the continent. And they added uh, quality and players proven at Copa Libertadores level uh, as well. And they they added a lot of attacking players, but it hasn't reaped results in the Copa Libertadores at all. They've only got four goals in in four games, um, and their league form has dropped off. Uh, so it, it's really not what expectation was. Yeah, no, definitely. I, after last year's performances, I was I was expecting certainly a, a little bit more from them. But as you said, they are still right in it. I mean, maybe the benefit of playing Pal, um, well, Palmeiras seconds and, and having that advantage going into the final round might help them. Maybe playing, well, definitely playing an already qualified Palmeiras. Who knows? They might put out a weakened side for that final game. So the, there's still hope there, I'd say, Jordan. And I mean, worse comes to worse, as you said. I can't see them giving away third place. So if they were to drop into the Sudamericana, how would you rate uh, their chances in there? Obviously, it being a round of 16 and, you know, two legs, it's it's not quite any team can beat any team on the day because there's always that second leg to recover. But I think one reason why, and I was speaking to a Caracas fan yesterday um, about this, um, one reason why I don't really think um, it's any easier uh, for... Uh, a round of 16 tie in the Sudamericana as opposed to Libertadores is is how Venezuelan teams compare um, to, you know, teams on the rest of of the continent in a similar position to Bolivia, perhaps. But, you know, their teams are always, um, you know, Venezuelan teams are always in the bottom two or three valued teams uh, in the competition, like, you know, by transfer values, um, for example. Um, And their standings in in comparable rankings, like the, the club rankings. So, be it a round of 16 in Sudamericana or a round of 16 in, in the Libertadores, like you're, you're always the underdog. So I wouldn't say them being in the round of 16 in Sudamericana is any more favourable in terms of progression than being in the round of 16 in the Libertadores. So, you know, they'd rather, you know, try their luck in the round of 16 in the Libertadores and then suddenly you're in a, a quarterfinal of the biggest competition on the continent. Um, if you look at the Sudamericana results um, for Venezuelan teams this season, just briefly, like Deportivo La Guaira and, and Metropolitanos, it, it doesn't bode well. Like Metropolitanos, uh, well, neither side have won, in fact, and, and Metropolitanos are bottom of their group, despite some really impressive results. Um, and, you know, at least with Libertadores, you have the promise of getting to a round of 16. Sudamericana, there's next to no benefit, in my opinion, other than exposure for their players to be in the Sudamericana because only one team out of each group get through. And that's in all realism, never going to be a Venezuelan team, like 1% chance of it being a Venezuelan team. And all it does is for me, distract from the league. So Deportivo La Guaira were unbeaten in the league with four wins out of six and hadn't conceded from open play in the league when the Sudamericana started. And now they haven't won a game in the league since the Sudamericana started. Um, So I, I really think, other than the, the prize money that you get for being in the groups, and a lot of that is then eaten up by travel um, and logistical costs, I, re- I really see little value in, in a Sudamericana position. Of course, 
fans are always going to want their teams in, in domestic competitions. So finishing third and, and getting another two games in continental football is, is better than the you know, embarrassment, if you like, of finishing bottom of your group. But um, I think in practical terms, it has little value. Well, let's hope they get that uh, next round of the Libertadores then. Um, Let's move now across to Group F, where we've got River on top with 10 points, Colo Colo second with seven points, Fortaleza in third with four points, and Alianza Lima rock bottom with one point. So on the surface of it, looks like River and Colo Colo are going to be pretty comfortable there. And they had some pretty entertaining games between the two river edging Colo Colo 2-1 but as the last round of fixtures showed um where everyone drew against each other one all it's still competitive so Mike Alianza Lima finally picked up a point is there a glimmer of hope or or how do you see this group playing out um yeah it's it's a glimmer of hope at first but then when uh you see how Fortaleza have uh, improved as the group's gone on and getting that point against uh river in the last game Makes it a lot, uh, a lot more difficult once again. And Alianza Lima's history in this uh, competition doesn't uh, exactly uh, give you too much confidence. Um, they were dreadful as well against Colo Colo in the first half, and um, managed to come back and get uh, get the goal straight away after half time on a quick break. But it's um, it's it's not been a, a particularly good campaign. Um, Going forward defensively, um, they've, they've played very well at times. Um, the the River Plate game um, at home to open the uh, to open open the group stages, it, they they played fantastically and um, really limited River Plate, but didn't know just couldn't get really much going on 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 the attack. And Bustos, the manager, has sort of changed things up. He's brought they've brought in a few, quite a few different players. Um, uh, as clubs uh, as clubs tend to do, and he he tried to stick with his sort of three at the back formation, and that changed for this Colo Colo game um, where where they got the point and they've just moved to a four at the back and tried to get more players forward because their strikers at the moment are sort of all all in their late thirties uh, mostly with uh, Aldeia Rodriguez having a a long ban for his uh, foul on uh, his terrible foul on uh, Rojas uh, in the first game. So it's, it's, they're not particularly mobile getting forward. And Pablo Lavandarea, who's, um, who's come in as sort of an attacking fielder, he's really stepped up now that he, they've changed his formation and he's been quite dangerous going forward in the league and in um, uh, and against Colo Colo as well. So it gives them a little bit of hope, but Fortaleza just showing that little bit more um, sort of attacking threat now. And if if uh, they're coming to Lima next week, so it's... It's a must-win for Alianza, but it's sort of creeping closer and closer to being sort of thirty games without a win. I think for, uh, for them in the in the competition. Yeah, not the kind of record that you you want there. But um, in terms of looking at, at River as as one of the certainly the favourites for the group, and as a team that you've you've seen there play against Alianza Lima, you know, do you rank them up there with the favourites for this competition? Yeah, they seemed. Um, in the in the Alianza game, they they seem frustrated by just quite so how how so many people got got back and um, were sort of getting deep of that low block and Alvarez was trying to stay high and make things happen, um, waiting for the ball, but he had to end up dropping very deep and it took a it took a few changes from um, 
Gallardo to really make make a difference um, in the final third for um, for River. But once they got going, um, it seemed it it looked incredibly difficult as, as you'd expect for Alianza. But throughout this, now the, as the competition's gone on and their league form, you can see the quality they've got, and it's just it just seemed like it's uh, it was a a case of just um, growing into it rather than just bursting on and showing everyone exactly what they can do. Um, it was just, uh, yeah, growing into it. And the, the players they've got at their disposal going forward are um, they're incredibly talented. And it's, they're they're going to be very hard for any team to really deal with. Yeah, I definitely agree with the the, the idea of them growing into it because they're they're good, but they're not they're not at peak river just yet. I don't think they're they're doing enough. And um, I think they're just maybe lacking a little bit of a clinical edge up front, which which seems mad when you're given the attacking resources they've got there. But uh, yeah, they've they've even had a shock exit to Tigre in the Copa de la Liga um, there as well. So they'll they'll be looking again to focus all that attention on on the Libertadores and and certainly out of the Argentinian teams, I'd say they're still looking like the team that could go the furthest there and. Looking across at their historic rivals, Boca Juniors in, in Group E, things aren't looking quite so comfortable. Uh, Los Seneses find themselves in second place with six points after four games, just behind Corinthians, who are top with seven points. And then Deportivo Cali in third with five points and always ready bottom with four points. Um, probably one of the most exciting groups in terms of potential drama given how close everything is maybe not always with the football on the field um and Boca really looked like they were potentially going to be staring down the barrel of an early exit but they got a really credible away victory in Bolivia against always ready questionable pen- penalty perhaps um that got them but going away to Bolivia is always a good um good result and, and Deportivo Cali is showing way more than what we expected from them. Uh, Jordan, any any quick thoughts on this group? Who, who do you think might go through here? I I want Boca to go through um, purely out of favouritism. Um, you know, I think it's fair to say most most people have got an, uh, a Brazilian team or, and an Argentine team or, you know, for me, I, I'm, I always want Boca to do well. Um, but it is, it is a, it is a very tight group like three points from top to bottom with two fixes left, like is, is if you're, unless you've got like a team like Palmeiras in it, which are obviously going to go, uh, go through by get virtue of enough points. Like it's really hard to, to cool. I would like, um, always ready, uh, to do well, um, perhaps get into the Sudamericana. Um, but that, that's again for, for selfish interests. Um, you know, last season they had Robert Hernandez, uh, a Venezuelan player who's now, um, you know, actually at Deportivo Tachira. But um, he was there last season. And then this season, again, uh, always ready to have a, a Venezuelan in the the form of centre-back um, Luis Adrián Martínez. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see always ready, um, you know, maybe sneak into to second place, but, you know, more likely, more realistically, perhaps try and get third. Yeah, well, it's it's going to go right down to the the wire there, and um, yeah, I think we could see potentially a, a big upset there. Another of the tightest and hardest uh, groups to predict is is Group D with Atletico Mineiro top of the group with eight points, Deporti, uh, Deportes Tolima in second with seven points, Independiente del Valle in third with five points, and America Mineiro a bit further away there with one point. Um, some really good 
games from an, another Colombian side that have uh, have impressed, like uh, Cali Tolima. They've shown some really strong performances, beating America Mineiro away, and then following it up with a one nil win against uh, IDV at home. Um, Mike, um, a- anything from this group standing out to you, and uh, and who you who you picking here to to go through? Um, I'm thinking that Tolima with their home game um, against America um, in the next match, if they can uh, get that win there, it's it could it could settle the group really, couldn't it? If um, it puts a lot of pressure on uh, Independiente de Valle to get something against um, Atletico Mineiro, um, who don't seem to be. Um, they don't seem to be uh, going to be losing any games in this group, I don't think, um, going forward. They're looking very strong. So, yeah, if Tolima can get that win at home in the next match, I think that could tie up the group, really. Yeah, no, it's it's looking like that could be the decisive one there. I, th- I think Atletico, a bit like River, have maybe yet to find their groove. They don't, they don't quite look as incisive as they did last year, but players like uh, Arana, um, Hulk... Nacho Fernandez, it's it's hard to to bet against them, and, and they're going to be in the conversation for sure. And obviously, a lot of our listeners will have a bit of a soft spot for Independiente del Valle, but once again, they're they're not finding the Libertadores quite as easy as as maybe we would have expected. So maybe that's down to tough groups, or or just still getting that experience at the top level. Um, one of the most eye catching results, though this uh, this. Uh, quite a low scoring round but one of the the high scoring ones was the strongest 5-0 thumping of Atletico Paranaense which has set up a really interesting finale to group B Libertad top with 7 points the strongest second with 5 points ahead on goal difference of Caracas who have also got 5 points and Atletico Paranaense slightly surprisingly maybe bottom with 4 points Jordan you've got some skin in the game here with Caracas what what are your thoughts on on how this uh, this group's gone and and Caracas's performances in general Yeah I was at the the last Caracas game the the 1-0 win over Libertad and uh you know massive relief at full time to get that win it was the first of the campaign um but within you know, 30 seconds of the full-time whistle going. Uh, I had multiple people telling me the strongest have beaten Paranense 5-0, <laughs> which was, you know, not a great a result for, for Caracas's uh, qualification hopes. Um, but I still feel like it's very much in their hands because their next game um, is at home against the strongest. Um, and, you know, Caracas got a point away uh, in La Paz. A lot has been, you know, made of, of that result. Um as you said, Palanese went there and, and got thump 5 0. So it makes the Caracas point look even better. And it, it certainly set up the last two rounds to, to be definitive. I think Palanese losing that game, you know, they it's not the same Palanese uh, as last season that, that won the Sudamericana. Um, but that three points for the strongest has, has really sort of blown the window open because you're always, no matter how bad the form is, you're always going to look over your shoulder as a Venezuelan team if it's a Brazilian team that's one point behind you. Um, but it, it really is um, in Caracas's hands um, to get through because, like I said, firstly at home to the strongest and then they finish their campaign, group stage campaign, against Paranense, um, albeit in Brazil. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been it's been a Good group stage, really, so far for uh, Caracas because that win against Libertad um, was, you know, I think fair to say 
against the odds and and quite impressive. Firstly, Caracas's league form uh, has been very inconsistent um, at the start of this year. They've got a new head coach, uh, Francesco Stefano, a Venezuelan, who's uh, you know managed in Colombia, took Zulia to the quarterfinals of the Sudamericana a couple of years ago. Uh, but replacing Chita San Vicente, who's like iconic in Venezuelan football, is a, a really big um, task, a, a tall order. And the league form hadn't started well. And Caracas have sort of found a bit of respite in the Libertadores, which is, you know, very paradoxical to say for a Venezuelan team. Um, and that win against Libertad has, I think, breed renewed uh, hope into their, you know, league form and, and not just qualification for the round of 16 in, in Libertadores. Libertad, you know, went into that tie as Paraguay's table toppers. They'd only lost one game in the league um, in 13 with 10 wins. And yeah, they had Julio Enciso, who everyone's talking about on the continent, completely kept quiet by by Kaki Rivera and Diego Osio. Um, Osio coming on after like 30 minutes because the Caracas captain Quijada went off injured. Uh, so it's it's been uh, a promising set of events, uh, albeit in a very, very tight group. And I think it's also worth mentioning that um, Caracas have the player with the most shots in the group stages in Samson Akinula and also the goalkeeper who's made the most saves in the group stages in, in Alain Baroja. So, you know, they there's consistency throughout the team and uh, it's also what you'd expect from uh, a Venezuelan team in the group stages of Libertadores. They're having to defend, they're facing a lot of shots, but in Akinula they've got someone that, you know, can, can trade blows with, I think he's proving, um, you know, some of the best centre-backs on the continent. Um, and, and that's something, in, well, invaluable for any team, but invaluable for a Venezuelan team, for sure. Yeah, some very big goals from Macanula in the last couple of games. Some really, really important ones there. And obviously, he's hitting form just at the right time. Do you think he's, you know, going to stick around in Venezuela much longer? Or, or what do you see his ceiling being, Jordan? Uh, I, I say, well, I, I'd say it's like, 100% guaranteed that he will leave by, um, you know, the start of, of next season. Uh, you know, I, I confidently say 100% this will be his last season in Venezuela um, and, you know, only his second season. But uh, I was quite surprised that he he didn't move in the, the market just finished. And that's mainly because I think, uh, you know, Venezuela can be undervalued as a league uh he was the top scorer in 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 Venezuela with 18 goals um and I think had Caracas been in the group stages of Libertadores last season uh I I think you know he would have definitely left because he's now proving himself on the continental stage and that's taken more notice off when it comes to Venezuelan teams uh I think there's a good chance that he may leave um you know mid-year this year uh but if he doesn't I certainly think this will be his last season in Venezuelan football. In terms of his window, um, I think he'll stay in the Americas um, in this next move. Not necessarily South America, maybe Liga MX or, or MLS. Um, but I don't think he's going to jump straight back to Europe. Uh, I think it was probably, if we're looking at his career, two or three steps into the future. I think it would be better for him to um, take a higher step up within the Americas before going back to Europe to really maximise you know, how high a level he can enter Europe in because, uh, you know, it's a big slog to work your way up the European leagues. Um, and if he can prove himself in a, a more respected, shall we say, league in the Americas than Venezuela, 
um, then I, I think he has a bright future ahead of him. He's only 22. Uh, he's eligible for Nigeria as well as Benin, um, his country of birth. Uh, he's already been contacted by the national team of Benin to, to play, um, but he chose to stick around for Caracas's um, qualification for this very tournament. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's, you know, if you look at, you know, uh, Twitter analysts, and I, I don't mean that disparagingly, I think Twitter analysts are, you know, the, the best out there at the moment. Uh, he's getting a lot of attention, which is very rare for a player um, in, in Liga Football uh, to be spoken about so favourably in in you know, the English language or by analysts in Europe. So, yeah, if, if Caracas get through to the round of 16 in Libertadores, a, lo- a lot of that is going to be heavily on Akinula's shoulders. And Stefano, the head coach, was even, you know, asked about this in the press conference. Um, he The question was basically like, you know, is it fair to say Caracas rely on Akinula? And he sort of said, uh, is it fair to say, Stefano said, is it fair to say that Real Madrid um, rely on Karim Benzema, what's the difference? Um, and I think he handled that question really well. Well, at least he's got some very broad shoulders there to, to handle that pressure. And he's definitely one of the, the more fascinating players and, and storylines to watch um, in the Libertadores. So definitely everyone should be keeping an eye out for that. Moving across now to Group H, we had another one of the most impressive performances of the round with Tajeres, who are doing awfully in the Argentinian Primera, uh, drawing 2-2 two to- two against Flamengo, twice taking the lead but getting pe- pegged back. And that means that Flamengo are still top with 10 points and looking good for the knockout round. Talleres uh, in uh, second with seven points, Universidad Católica third with four points. And again, I'm afraid to say it, Mike, Sporting Cristal last, but but with one point, which is one better than they had last time out. So, um, Mike, another Peruvian side finally getting off the mark, but uh, it's not looking good, is it? No, exactly. Yeah, I was saying going into this fourth round of games, we were the uh, the only country without a point. So it's uh, at least good to get something. There was um, shouts and cries for a penalty once again in a uh, Sporting Cristal game that didn't come through. And it would be frustrating again, but it's... Um, they need to. They need to be starting to do better throughout the matches. It's you can't just hold on to those. Oh, we should have had this. We should have had that. That's um, not. Uh, that's not what you can rely on. Um, they, they, they've just been not not really up to it um, this season, uh, <laughs> quite plainly. Uh, one of the bit, one of the biggest and best clubs in Peru, but. Um, we've brought in Yoshima Yotun um, on a short-term deal to try and help with this, um, try and getting out of the group, be it in top two or third place. But unfortunately, he missed the first couple of games uh, through injury. Um, so they, uh, yeah, off to a bad start and it just looks looks to be a, a little bit too far away again. It's um, they, they def- I think they've defended relatively well. Um Keeping keeping sides like Flamengo down to uh, just like a, t- a two 0 win with two very good goals uh, in the first game, um, and they've uh, they they've, they've, they did well. Uh, Talleres they lost one nil um, uh, away in Argentina, so they have they haven't conceded heavily. Uh, it's just the, just scoring goals has been the problem. Just the two goals um, in the group stages and. They they've had they've had big issues for a few years now. And um, when uh, 
Emmanuel Herrera um, left to go back to Argentina um, a few seasons ago. They've brought Marcos Riquelme in um, from the Bolivian leagues and Argentine, um, who struggled to, it wasn't particularly poor, but just struggled to get in um, in a flow with the side. Um, just wasn't... Um, wasn't that focal point that Herrera was. Uh, he left to go back to Bolivia. We've brought in, um, uh, Cristel brought in uh, John Jairo Mosquera, who has uh, since been released already um, from his contract with the club. Uh, didn't didn't go down well with the fans when he was signed. He seemed out of shape. Um, hasn't, hasn't played very much uh, at all uh, in this short time that he was here. And, you know, the club and him have decided just to, terminate the contract completely um so they'll be looking looking for someone new to come in there's again it was numbers brought in rather than sort of affecting particular positions the same as Alianza. so there's a lot of rotation around who's playing the formations have changed a bit to try and accommodate other players um so there just wasn't the wasn't the preparation that uh needs to go in um into these uh, into these competitions and now we're looked, looking at Avila and uh, Percy Lisa are the only, are the only two real um, forwards in the, in the uh, squad now and Avila's been performing very well um, despite fans not being half, being too keen on him for, uh, at, at points during his career at um, Cristal but he's, he's, he's really stepped up. Um, Percy Lisa who's a young striker with a lot of promise um, is a good, big, physical striker. Um, the issues he's had is he's he started off really as a winger. Um, he's come into the side and he's looked great when he's played as that number nine down the middle. But uh, the manager, Mosquera, looks to play him out wide and move him across. And at times he gets sort of a bit lost within the game. So it just needs to be there. It'll be another year of planning for next year, really. I think Cristal will... They've started slow in the league, but they're creeping back up to the top top spots once again. Um, they'll no doubt be in the competition again next year, and needs to be a little bit more, um, a little bit better planning um, for what's coming in. Because going to need a going to need Tayeres to be playing like their uh, domestic form <laughs> when they go uh, when they welcome them to uh, Lima <laughs> in the next game. Because otherwise, uh, we can't. I can't see too much uh, too much changing. And do you think uh, out of that battle for second place, is your money on uh, Tajeres or, or Católica? I think it will be Tajeres just because they'll get this. Uh, I th- I, as much as uh, as much as I obviously want uh, Cristal to um, to uh, get a result um, every time they play, it's I can I can see Tajeres getting coming away with a win once again, and that should keep that that will um, that will keep them ahead of Católica. Even I think it's only, they only need a draw to. Um, to get through as long as as long as Flamengo get the win in the other game. So I think it will be these two that go through. Um, and arguably I think probably um Tayer is maybe the better side in this in this tournament <laughs> than uh than uh, Catolica. Yeah, well certainly um one of the one of the better sides in Argentina last year and um and maybe it's just that having that European manager that seems to be all the rage in the Libertadores that's helping them over the line there. Um, Quickly moving on to the last couple of groups, we won't spend too much time on them. Um, 
But uh, certainly an interesting group is Group G with Sarah Podenio topping things with seven points, but only on goal difference ahead of Colón. And then Olympia in third with five points and Peñarol in fourth with three points. Colón looking very good um, with uh, their victory against Cerro. And and again, it just seems like a a really poor performance for Peñarol in the group stage. It's been over a decade now since they got out of the group stage. Hopes are obviously high after that really good run in the Sudamericana last year. But um, yeah, once again, the Uruguayan sides not covering themselves in glory as we move over to Group C where uh, Nacional um, are also struggling a little bit, although they've probably got a better chance of going through Estudiantes heading up that group and looking in a very strong position with 10 points. Um, and it's all to play for between Bragantino on five points, Nacional on four points, and Velez on two points. Mike, I know you've uh, you watched a you've watched a bit of this group as well. And any thoughts on on how this is going to pan out? And um, yeah, just generally your thoughts on the teams. Yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed um, Estudiante. I mean, only conceding that one one goal in the four games, they give up quite a lot of possession, but. Their transitional attacking has been has been absolutely brilliant, and coming through the qualifiers into that group, it's a, it seemed a very tough, even group to start with. But they've they've really um, stepped through that quite well, and I can say I think the the issue that Nacional have trying to compete to get that second spot is just the goals. Um, only the two and four for them. Bragantino have the have the have the quality to really make sure they can get at least one more win out of this and uh, I think that they um, that's the hour go to uh, have Velez in the in the next game we've got a, a lot to play for because that, that third place is still up for grabs so that'll be an interesting one to see see how that goes I can see Velez probably coming away with something from that yeah I think Velez have been I think they've been a little bit unlucky to be honest I, I thought they were better home and away against Bragantino but but only managed to get draws there and and they had a really stupid red card red card early on against Nacional and as you said the only two goals that Nacional have scored have been against a 10-man Velez thanks to uh, Puma Gigliotti um, the old striker there so I think this is a. I think Velez probably won't have quite enough to get, sneak through into second, but they'll they'll definitely see it as a missed opportunity because um, as as tight as this group was, it's um, if they if they'd been a little bit more on it, I think they could have could have easily got second there. So that wraps up the Libertadores. We'll we'll move on to the Sudamericana where uh, Mike is no doubt going to enjoy discussing this a little bit more. And uh, this is how the group stages are looking after four rounds. So in Group A, Lanús top, just ahead of Barcelona with Wanderers and Metropolitanos further back. Group B, we've got Melga and Racing both on nine points and going toe-to-toe in a fascinating battle for top spot there. Group C is pretty tight with Union La Calera from Chile, just ahead of Santos with uh, Universidad Católica of Ecuador and Banfield still in contention, you could say. Group D, we've got Sao Paulo running away with it and unlikely to be caught by Everton, Ayacucho or Jorge Wilstermann. In Group E, probably one of the more surprise leaders there with Guareña of Paraguay. Um, ahead of Internacional on goal difference and Independiente Medellín and Nueve de Octubre still right in the mix too. Group F, we've got Atletico Goianense and LDU Quito fighting it out with top spot with nine points each, a bit like the Melgar Racing situation. Defensa Justicia surprisingly out of the running as are 
Deportivo and Antofagasta. In Group 9, it's all about Seara, the only team with a 100% record, and Independiente just behind them with nine points. Deportivo La Guaira and General Caballero have no chance, so yeah, we won't give them any time. And finally, in Group A, probably saving the best till last, is a three-way shootout between Union, who are top with eight points, and then Junior and Fluminense just behind them on seven points with Oriente Petrolero bottom with zero. So I know, um, Jordan, you, you weren't too, um, weren't the hugest fan of the Sudamericana there and, and the Venezuelan <laughs> sides haven't, haven't done themselves too uh, many favours there. But um, yeah, what would you make of the Venezuelan sides in, in the group stage so far? No, I'm, I'm actually like really impressed by, by Metropolitanos. Their bottom, um, as of the last, as of the last game, um, but their performances have, for me, been significantly better than Deportivo La Guayra's, who are the other Venezuelan team, and they're third in their group. Both are, both are winless. Um, Metro have two points, but find themselves bottom. Deportivo La Guayra have one point, but they're third on, on goal difference. But, um, you know, their group, Deportivo La Guayra's group, is uh, bottomed out by uh, General Caballero, who are playing in the top division of their country for the first time ever. Um, it was a, you know, a quirk of the qualification um, process, if you like, that they have, that they're in the, the group stages of the Sudamericana. They obviously won their um, qualifying um, against their fellow countrymen, but you know, the fact that they were even in Sudamericana qualifying was a, a quirk. So yeah, I'd, my real, my real bugbear with, with Sudamericana is that only one team progresses from, from the groups. Mm. And when you've got a Brazilian and an Argentinian team in your group, like Deportivo La Guaira do have, um, it, it's always going to be a big struggle. But I, I thought that whoever qualified for the Sudamericana from Venezuela um, were going to find it difficult because the teams that were in qualifying along with La Guaira Metropolitanos, it was Amanos Colmenares who were playing their first um, season in the top flight of Venezuelan football, having only been founded like five or six years ago. Um, and Estudiantes de, Mer- de Merida. And I, th- I thought whoever was in the group stages would find it difficult because all of those four teams really struggle for, for squad depth, um, in my opinion. Uh, after their first 11s, there's then like, for me, firstly, a drop off in quality, but then also a considerable drop off in, in experience. Deportivo La Guaira have a very young squad and it's great that those players are getting showcased um, continentally because there are some really good players in that team, particularly John Adam Buru. But um, I question how beneficial it is just to see those players essentially getting pumped um, every week. Uh which sort of has been the case. Not no massive score lines, but you know, Laguire have conceded eight goals in four games, um, and and Metropolitanos, in to be fair, like I said, have been far more impressive um, in their performances um, in in general. They only conceded like two goals in the first first three games, but they'd only scored one goal themselves. Um, but the the main the main takeaway um, from Sudamericana is just the 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 effect it can have on the league form um, of, of Venezuelan teams. Fortunately, Metropolitanos have have not had their league form suffered as a result. Um, they've actually climbed the table. Um, but Deportivo La Guaira, like being in the Sudamericana, has just derailed their their season so far. Um, so, yeah, I, I 
my main bugbear is the structure of that competition. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a tricky one, especially for those less uh, those teams with less resources. It's it's always going to be difficult to juggle domestic and continental. But um, let's let's move on to the, the the more positive side of of the Sudamericana. You've waited patiently there, Mike. Just tell us all about how good Melgar are and how what's going to happen between them and Racing. Who's who's going to get through? Oh well, definitely Melgar. Definitely Melgar. <laughs> no, uh, they've been they've been incredible. Um, like Jordan said, um, for the Venezuela size, the, the the league form can suffer as well. But Melgar um, is so well run in comparison to most Peruvian sides. Their academy players are stepping in and playing games um, as if they've been playing first team football in Peru. Um, for, for a couple of seasons because everything's so well organised. They sit second in the league in uh, Peru and, yeah, are going toe-to-toe with uh, an incredibly strong um, Argentine side. Um, so, yeah, to be in this position going into um, going into the last two games is, uh, is fantastic for Melgar and especially for Peru to have something to uh, for the same, for the country to get behind. They've been... Uh, in, after the the start they made against Cuiaba to um, to lose in in Brazil was a disappointment because of the way they played in the first half. They they dominated the game. They created many chances, but just wasted them sadly. And uh, Cuiaba Cuiaba made uh, made them pay in the second half. Um, if that had gone a, a different way, um, as the story says, usually goes, it um, could have this have a little bit of a, a cushion, but. Yeah, we go. They they made their um they made their home advantage count um uh, against Racing um and they they did fantastically in the last game against uh, River Plate of uh, Uruguay. Uh, goalkeeper sent off after fifty six minutes. Um, so uh, one of their young 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 goalkeepers, Cavezudo, comes in um, does incredibly well um, um, if, um to, to deal with like the side being right up against it and River Plate get a 93rd minute equaliser and somehow there's just about enough time and uh, one of their new additions Archimbald um, came on and uh, got the winner in the 95th minute um, so with 10 men uh, battling away been um, there's such a there's such a well organised team um, so even in these difficult difficult positions the sides know exactly how each other are playing they have a they have a system they have a way of playing and it's something sadly that a lot of a lot of other sides in Peru um, really struggle with uh, things don't don't particularly go their way a little bit too much chaos sort of creeps in but yeah they've been uh, they've been fantastic and the fact that they can bring in some, these young players into this squad um, is is really helps um really helps Peruvian players, especially if, they, if they're part of this setup. Paolo, um, Paolo Reina, left back, uh, Laza, right back. Um, have both been, um, they've been great players. This um, Reina for a number of, uh, for a number of seasons now. Uh, then uh, I always struggle with his name, but Daniel Mostier, um, the uh, centre-back, uh, he's been um, absolutely fantastic. Um, they've brought in, only brought in a couple of players, um, Perez Guedes and Archimbald, the only two that really play regular football in the first team, they just they've just been added rather than this panic that a number of sides do of all all this players available and he's quite good. Let's bring him in and add him without thinking. It's it's been a very sort of 
structured approach to how to improve the side and um luckily they 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 have the um they have the player up front as well which which a lot of the sides in Peru are looking for um with Bernardo Cuesta he's he's been um, fantastic and he's he's been with Melgar a while now and he's uh, he's he's helping them keep going and yeah we go into this the next game sadly is the uh, the one in Argentina so it's not going to go it won't be the last match um which uh, which could have been good but um I think they'll go with with confidence because of how well how well they play but obviously well aware of how of the quality they're coming up against yeah and it's that's probably going to be one of the the most exciting games across all of South America next week you know Racing as a side that's easy playing the best football in Argentina right now I think Melgar the only team that have beaten them in 2022 I think that's one defeat in in 20 games or something like that there and they're playing nice football under Fernando Fernando Gago as well so that is definitely going to be one to tune into and then obviously as we mentioned there so lots of battles at the top there with teams duking it out for that one spot while obviously it's not very fair on on many of the teams just all going for that one spot it does mean that there's some yeah some pretty epic battles going on to to get through to the next round and yeah particularly that group h is is looking one that i'm looking forward to immensely as well um so that is all uh, uh, that we've got time for today so um first of all jordan where can people find you on social media and have you got anything to plug uh, so my my personal Twitter account is uh, just my name, Jordan Florit, and um, I also co-run Footday English, um, a Twitter account dedicated to Venezuelan football coverage um, in English, which I co-run with uh, Dominic Bassonio. Uh, he's another guy involved with World Football Index. Um, and I have nothing to promote other than Venezuelan football itself. <laughs> well, that, that that sounds good enough to me. And um, and what about you, Mike? A, a piece just gone up, perhaps? Uh, yeah, just uh, I got the I got a little text through to say that's gone. Like, so it's just a little bit on uh, how Melgar are actually uh, carrying the uh, Peruvian league uh, when it comes to uh, the continental competitions um, and how well they're run. And so, yeah, you can find that on the World Football Index. So you can see me at um at mike rice 1983 uh, on twitter and uh check out the peru waltz uh, as well we do uh, so i do the uh, podcast for that and there's a uh, there's a twitter twitter page up there as well excellent and you can find me on twitter at tom robo 89 recent piece on fabricio diaz young uruguayan under 20 captain um for y scout that's worth checking out and there'll be some uh, some more stuff coming up uh, on the World Football Index at the end of the Argentinian season as well, hopefully. Um, so once again, a big thanks to both of our guests there and all our listeners. And be sure to follow the World Football Index on social media for all the latest. So thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>